Welcome to the Niched Agency Podcast, where we delve into the journey of owners who have gone from saying yes to everyone in every project to thriving industry leaders and authorities. Here's your host, Ryan McGovern. Hello and welcome. For those of you that don't know me yet, I'm Ryan. I'm currently the Director of Sales Marketing here at SEO Brothers. Prior to that, I owned a few of my own agencies, two of which were massive failures and one of which I'm quite proud of. Join with me today is our guest and, of course, niche agency owner, Tim. Tim, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So today we're going to dive into your story a little bit. We'd like to give our guests some insight into people who have sort of made it past the crux, if you will, of like their professional journey and just hear about your beginning and maybe some struggles all the way through to where you are now, where you have a successful niche agency that's making money and paying the bills. So if you could walk us through from the start, where did your professional journey start out? Sure. Well, I partied a lot and played in bands and stuff like that. And then I got sober, actually. Went to college, finished out for web design. And so I worked through college. I mean, when you go to college for 10 years, you kind of got to work through college. That's funny, man. I went to college for eight years for web design. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes use that as a badge. Of honor. Yeah, I worked through college. It's like, yeah, because I went to college, a two-year college for 10 years, by the way. So worked through college and mostly websites, design, development, modified themes, really. Sure. And actually made some good looking websites, just modifying themes. It looked custom, you know, felt custom. Then I went and worked for another agency kind of did the same thing, design development, kind of had to get my hands dirty in some real development, like some from scratch WordPress themes. Mm, Got your hands into PHP. Yeah. And I think a lot of times they were letting somebody else handle the PHP, but I was doing like the front end side, but it was like bigger projects, like too big. Like I was literally like, why am I working? I'm like one year out of college, I should not be working on this. But you know, like agencies, We bring in young people that are just starting. I'm assuming you can handle it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we slap a big ass project on them. And so that was my come up the two and a half, three years that I was at that agency. I got to be the marketing director there, which didn't mean that much. It was like 25 people, but it felt cool. And like just hitting like a decent salary. Like I got out of college. I'll just throw out numbers because who cares on this? Like when I got out of college, like I got $42,000. And I remember somebody else saying like, man, I'm going to Chicago and I'm getting 70 and that's fucking trash. And I was literally thinking to myself, this is amazing. $42,000 yeah. from being a bus boy and being just very low salary. So it like felt like really cool to me. And when I left there, I would think I was up to like 72. So I was able to bring it up 30 and I was also able to freelance on the side, which at that time when I left, and this is what I did is what I did the overlap technique. So I was building up my website's SEO and learning everything from this agency that I was at. Mm-hmm. building it up on the side. And then I had a couple leads every single week on my freelance website. And I brought some of them over to the agency and I didn't for the other ones. That was part of my agreement because I was getting a lower than maybe I could have gotten salary. So anyways, by the time I left, I kind of was annualizing my websites out into like a year. So if I got this every month, you know, I was getting it in chunks, half upfront quarter after design quarter after development, but I was annualizing it. I was up to more than my salary. So basically 140, but I was also outsourcing development to India and I was trying some other things. And so when I went out on my own, I had that, but I lost my salary, which was a big chunk of my income. 
and I just risked it all. I mean, it wasn't that big of a risk because I had 70K, but I was giving half that away. So it was like kind of a big risk. And then I went out on my own and that December, I got a couple projects pretty quick. Like once you take away the agency 40 hours a week or 35 or whatever, you know, like whatever it really is. Once you take that away and then you spend all that on your main business, that was a lot of extra time. I was working on it 20 hours a week, but now I'm working on it 60 hours a week. So that was a big part in that transition. I got a coach that first year that told me to niche and I kind of listened. I half niched. I niched, oh, I've got landing pages for medical and I've got landing pages for contractors and I've got landing pages for financial marketing. Like I went after all these like big money making. Yeah, not really. But you landed on home services. Yes, I landed on home services and I've gone completely into that. And now like as of about two years ago, we stopped taking anything outside of that niche. Completely done. That's amazing. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. That was a big deal. Most people don't get past that point. Exactly. You do like a half niche and then you stop. So since this is about niching, I'll just kind of revel in that moment. That was a big deal to put out a bunch of content. It was a big deal to start to get more of those types of clients, get a couple of influencers in the roofing space in particular to talk about us. Mm -hmm. And then it was a big deal to have some really good case studies or really concentrated two or three of them. I was going out and doing video with those clients. I was visually involved, which is really good for social media and marketing and stuff like that, being on roofs and being up in attics and doing them. I was getting paid for that content. I was doing video content and getting paid for it. And then I've stopped doing that now. We're just SEO, PPC, and websites. Okay. But I needed all that. And I needed all the revenue from all the other kinds of clients. You know what I mean? Like in my experience, I only did it when I had like 60, 70% of that kind of client. And I didn't get rid of the other clients. I just slowly stopped getting more. I said no to new clients. And that was how this shift really happened. Those two years ago where we said no. And then half a year after that, we said nobody but contractors or home service. But a half a year after that, we took all of our marketing and sales efforts and focused it on roofing. Because what I realized is if you only, I mean, we take other clients, anything in home services, really. And we have some commercial construction, but mostly home services. But there was no stickiness to saying contractors. Sure. There was a lot of stickiness to saying roofers Roofing. and that like gets yeah. stuck in people's minds. Cause if I try to make a like, for instance, I'm a roofing meme Lord and that's overstating it. Maybe if you're outside the niche, but if you're inside the niche, you would know I am a roofing <laughs> meme Lord. You can't make memes about HVAC and roofing and any kind of contract. Once you get into the niche, you realize it's a much smaller genuine. niche. Yeah. It's a niche within small. a niche. Yeah. You can't do half niched. You have to go full niche. And that's the most painful thing. But it's also like literally, if you think you're half niche right now, you're like, I'm half niche. You're not getting any of the benefits. All the benefits are way down in the tiny niche that you're avoiding. That you're like, I don't know if I should go full on B2B manufacturer for OEM that's just in, you know, like squeegees or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's like weird into the niche. That's the thing, though, is that there's a dime a dozen agencies out there that are doing that B2B manufacturing. Like we only do B2B manufacturing for businesses in this scale. It's like, yeah, so are a hundred other agencies. What makes you special? Like for yourself, there's a million digital agencies out there. How many of them are roofing or are focused on only roofing? Then you put case studies together and you say like, here's what I've done in the past. I've been able to help these roofing companies specifically 
scale or get more intake, more leads, whatever, I can do the same thing for you. Exactly. And like, it's hard to be niched into three things. It's just hard. You can't actually spend enough time. It's like the guy with three businesses. You know what I mean? Like you can't spend enough time on the one. I think everything that's been good that's come out of, and I've got a couple examples that are happening now that I'm really excited about, but like it's years having a good educated guess that like this is going to pay off, but it's like years of diligence and like pursuing partners and influencers in a very specific space. And they won't get that from an agency that's half niched. Yeah. When you're totally niched and you're pursuing them and you're like, no, I know this matters because there's 110,000, let's say it was HVAC or something. There's 110,000 HVAC companies. And I know that 20% of them are 1 million to 20 million. I am going to go after HVAC as well, by the way. And that's like a second layer here, but we have like 70 roofing clients, right? I'm kind of going to try to apply that to the next niche, but I had to go full niche first and be 100% focused on that. And a couple of things are happening now, just to say what it's like now is like this week. And I don't know how to like, no one cares. Like that's the one thing. No one cares when you're super niched, how exciting all this stuff is to you because you have the context. Yeah. Except people like me. (laughs) Yeah. You care. But like, I've been pursuing manufacturers for a while now, man, Mm -hmm. because I know that that's like, if you really get a partnership, guess what, dude? Three are talking to us this week. Just out of the blue. Well, not out of the, you know, persistence. Would you plant the seed? You break through. There's like moments where you break through. Like they see now, I got a message like this past week that was like, it's crazy how you just came out of nowhere. Now you're everywhere. <laughs> like eh, it took me a decade to do that. Yeah, it's literally 10 years. But in the niche, two years or one and a half years on the super really focused niche. So one and a half years on the super focused niche. And now manufacturers are seeing us wanting to send us product. I mean, I'm doing like videos like flamethrowers on shingles and stuff like that. Nice, nice. The idea that at this moment, this week, and I'm just going to revel in this for a second, three and the biggest one, and then like the fourth biggest one, and then like a super upcoming newcomer. So it's like all at once, I've been trying for the last couple of months and I've probably been thinking about it for the last year and I was scared because I was like, I don't know if we're big enough, but now we're kind of going to go past the 30 people mark. And I'm like, I think it's time to like get business development systems that aren't reliant on like my constant effort on social media. Because right now that's what it is. Like it's my constant effort on social media and I need to like tap into other people's networks because half the people are on social media and at events and all this stuff. And then half the people, and I'm guessing this is similar for a lot of niches, are not so involved. They're like offline and they're like, the only people they talk to in our niche is like the manufacturer and the supplier. Yeah, They're not like sitting on the internet all the time. They don't care about roofing influencers or events. They're busy running their business. And so that's the next step is for us to try to get at those people with partners. Yeah, I love that. And that's like a topic that always comes up is working on your business instead of in it. And they say it should be like, you know, even at the owner space, even the first couple of years, like an 80-20 sort of role where 80% of the time you're working on your business, 20%, you can be in it and still like develop training for other people or things like that. But 80% of the time you should be trying to grow that. But like the more you move ahead, the longer you go, the more it should be like 90, 95 100% of the time I work on my business. I got people for everything. I will always jump in and I try to be able to be functional in every role if I can. The only thing I'm not functional in in my role is like 
I'm not that good at PPC. Like I can do it. I spent a couple of days, you know, learning it enough to be able to like talk about it and to like get our differentiating features, but I've got people to run that. Everything else, like a website went down this weekend. You know what I mean? I like to think I'm out, but then a website went down this weekend and I was like 6 a.m. on Sunday, just like trying to figure out what happened. That stuff will happen. And I do feel like if you're not aware enough to be able to go in and fix something, that that's scary. This is what I found. When I was at my last agency, they had no niche. They would just be like, let's do a .NET project. And I was like, oh God. So no niche. Plus they would bite off random projects for stuff that had no clue how to do anything on. And I felt like that was wrong because they're putting themselves in a position where they can't properly manage the freelancers or the white label or whatever it ends up being. I think that that's honestly wrong because what value are you providing now? You're just project managing that and taking a $70,000 project or something right. like that. No. Yeah. 50% like you margin should be or, yeah. adding value to everything you sell in some way. I'm not saying that project management isn't adding value. If you don't have somebody in turn to do some .NET development, if that's what the project you took on, there's an element of how are you properly managing that project if you can't quality control and fix a problem if there was something that was an actual big problem. I'm not saying you can't use muscle. Either yourself or somebody that you really, really trust. Like we have somebody that we really, really trust that just runs our network and does like the, a site goes down, he works 24 seven. He only has to log like 25 hours. A site goes down on Sunday at 6 a.m. He's the one that like gets the call and goes and fixes it, which is nice because we can really trust him. But prior to having him, it was one of our directors that had to take that call at 6 a.m. and go fix that site. Getting the right people in the right places for all of the things that you do and all the things you provide, it's really hard. And like we're nine years into this and we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, you're never going to be a There's nothing you're going to get out of that in like the first seven, 10 people. You know what I mean? Like I think that there's a reasonable spot where that's possible. And then there's another spot where it's like, don't think you're going to get out of all that so quick. Like it's going to frustrate you if you think you're going to. Like it's, you're going to just be mad. And if you do, if you try to just contract your way out of everything, then you could probably make some relationships with some really shitty contractors. And then they're going to do poor quality work. And then everything's just going to circle back. It's just bad, bad business. I like that little nugget. I do want to wrap up that story. They just didn't pay their bill to the host, by the way, the domain provider. That was the actual reason that it was down. I was like, what did we do? It's like, they just didn't pay their bill. We didn't do anything. Yeah. 90% of the time. You're like, that's the (laughs) We did our job. Are you focusing on, oh, you already mentioned, you broke it down from doing PPC and ads and social management and SEO. Yes. We used to do social and video and we took those off SEO PPC website. SEO, PPC, website. Okay. So, and do you usually do bundle package? Like, hey, we'll start with a website, but these are pretty good things to tack on. We try to sell what we call a full package and we've done a lot of that. Once I realized that you just start with that, that was a big deal for me. Once, hey, this is what other people are doing. This is the way we present it. This is what other people are doing. They're doing SEO, PPC, and website. Website by itself isn't going to do that much for you. Yeah. It's like a website by itself is going to probably get you maybe a little bit more business just because if somebody's coming there as a referral or naturally, but yeah, or if you give them a business card or something, but basically like it's almost nothing. That's the way we present it. Even though our websites are 20 K 
So a big one has been presenting all of them together and almost assuming the close. This is the package. You should do it all. And then really focusing on that three to $15 million for us company and just being okay with like, we have to get a lot of leads, but some of them are going to be like that under $2 million company that can't afford us really. Just being honest about that. Like so we know that okay. that will happen. We'll refer them out. We just get a lot of leads and then we sort through them and refer them to people and people love us. There's like a couple freelancers or like three person businesses that just love us because we just refer yeah. them so much business. Are you saying no to roofing companies that fall below that? Yeah. A lot of them. I'm not saying that we haven't taken any, but like we're really most of the time referring those people out. Mm-hmm. And it sounds crazy, but then like once we get so many leads that ultimately we're getting 200 leads every three months for ourselves with very little paid advertising. How are you doing that? Just a lot of branding, like a lot of video referral partners. It's really a lot of this video stuff and podcast stuff. And I'm sure you kind of like this for business development and referral partnerships and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff that feeds us and this, the video stuff feeds referrals. You know, like we're making video and then we're tagging people, but we're also doing a lot of the collabs now. Like Facebook has collaboration reels. Mm-hmm. Instagram has collaboration reels and we're doing like three or four a day. And it's like other people, influencers and referral partner companies in the space. So then it's just this like onslaught of like video going on. This isn't all the business dev. This is in support of referrals. Cause then it looks like you're this powerhouse of like content and it looks like you matter in the industry. And so then to be honest is because I saw another guy that's referred a lot of business to us who is an influencer in the space. He's expensive. Like it was expensive to partner with him and the deliverables were somewhat unclear. And you're like, I can do that better. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try. I'm like, not fake it till you make it, but like pretend as if I am an influencer. You know what I mean? Until you are. Yeah. I'm trying. Right. And like, Ultimately, it's just, it appears that way because I put out so much content and then eventually you make the content better and better to the point where it's like almost is a little bit of a roofing influencer. Like that's where I'm trying to go with yeah. it. Part of it is I actually do stuff with roofing systems and stuff like that. Like I'm like testing products and doing fun stuff with shingles. Like we were talking about fire and stuff like that. Is this on the hook? Media, socials, and yeah, so yeah, youtube.com slash hook agency, lots of roofing content. I'm sure lots of people, our listeners, are wondering how you even start doing that. Let's say I only want to work with dentists because I have good margins with them. I want to go into the dental space. How can I be a dental influencer if I'm not a dentist? And for you, like, how can you be a roofing influencer if you're not a roofer? I love it so much because. We're doing this right now. We're attempting with a new niche and we're going to prove out whether this is like a reproducible model, right? Because we're doing it as well with HVAC. And I'm taking a little bit different approach because our main channel is staying focused on roofing. And then it's collaborating with a new account, new player on Facebook and on Instagram. There's a new account called HVAC Hustle and it's collaborating with Hook Agency on Reels and stuff like that. Okay. So, but I'll give you from scratch on this is like, you don't have to know shit. The first thing you do, you have to start to get a client, right? Start to have two clients in that niche. You open the door with that. You have a couple clients. Like we have a couple HVAC clients, right? We have a couple more plumbing clients, but you have the client 
And then you start to know who the people that are authoritative in that space. I think sales consultants for dentists would be a great person to talk to. Consultants in general for dentists would be great. This is what I would do. I'd have a pillar content niched podcast. You're not an expert. You don't act like an expert. You also don't like grovel and act like a total noob. You just have a dental success podcast. You collaborate with people that have authority in that space. Maybe you start with the lowest level influencers in that space. You have them on the podcast. You create reels, but you create this pillar piece of content that's a YouTube video plus a podcast. You put it out. Then you make reels. You start collaborating with people. You just slowly have more and more guests. You don't have to know that much because you're just the host. You just are curious. You're a curious person. That's part of it. If you can mix this, this would be an advanced strategy with going out to dentists and actually like doing some like shadowing. Like I'm a curious person. I would go to the dentist. I would hang out with them. I would like talk about patient flow and like busy times of the year. And like, I'm just curious, you know, like I'm curious and I'm just doing this for our podcast for dentists, you know, or like not a podcast, our YouTube channel or whatever. So then you have like video of you in a dental office talking about the like seasonality of dentistry. And then all of a sudden you are perceived as more of an authority. Yes, because it's the visual too. And so a mixture of those two things, but people don't understand you don't have, it's time, it's lots of time. And like the first 30 episodes, it's nothing. That's the shitty part. That's the thing is that people think, oh man, I'm two months into this and it's not working. And they just give up being persistent. And I think that's a really good nugget to take away from what you just said is like, your story has been one of persistence, I think. One of, I'm not giving up. I'm going to fucking make it and I'm going to do big things. Yeah, but you have a good enough idea. You have an educated guess. That's why the first two or three clients are important because you know this type of dentist and this type of dentist need your service and would respond to a niched player because it looks authoritative. It feels good to have somebody who has context on our situation. I don't have to explain the patient flow. I'm just keeping it on this other niche, but there's an element of you have to have an educated guess based on your current revenue that these dentists would spend this money. You know what I mean? Like you can't go out of nowhere. That's why I think it's okay to have other types of clients in the meantime, and then to just vigorously pursue and don't waste time on the broader niche. Don't waste time on medical. Right. Yeah. You're waste time on like, is it dental. a hospital like, or yeah, is it yeah. a, a little pet clinic? And then I've determined whatever you've determined, like three to ten million dollar dentistry clinics are the ones like get really hyper focused. Stop trying to be the one for super new guys and stop trying to be the one for like crazy big dental clinics. Like that's how you get no processes. Like the best part about the niche is that you get these clean processes from it that like your team can run every time. Yes, yes, yes. You can develop the process or everything comes in. We know from start to finish that entire client experience exactly what it looks like. We have it all templated. There's SOPs for everything. Follow it and they'll have a good experience. Now that we've had this niche for quite a while now. Two years, you said? Yeah, two years, but like also like three years before that with a lot of roofing clients. Okay. It just wasn't all the way niched. So like now we're talking about at least four, I guess I should say four years with like five plus of this type. So last couple of years with 30 plus and then now with like 65, but like 
One thing is benchmarking, which I really like. And I've seen like some really cool, I, somebody sent me like a industry report on HVAC PPC costs. Imagine if you were that niched, you know what I mean? Like you can be the report for the industry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you can say like, this is what we're seeing across. Like, so if you're here, you're behind. And if you're here, you're above average. That's the point where we've gotten, not that particular thing, but the good thing on our side is now we have benchmarks in place. If they're not here by three months, if they're not here by six months, nine months, 12 months, like you can only do that when you have a lot of the same client. Different niches respond differently. We had a wealth management client that we had all the exact same processes. And because of your money, your life standards on Google, it was not responding to the same type of content onslaught that we're used to doing. The amount of content, it had to be this super high quality, super authoritative, co-signed by an actual like CPA like type of stuff. And I don't know if I would go after money topics on Google, like as an SEO. That's a scary niche. It's a very scary niche. You definitely have to do your research. If you've got your eye on one or two or three, first of all, that's always my first step. And that's what one of my early mentors taught me is we had a workshop where he was trying to teach me how to develop a niche. He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I have no fucking idea. What kind of clients do you work with right now? I do X, Y, Z. And for the most part, those are my clients. Okay. Out of those, which one did you like the most? And then I picked the one that I liked the most. And he said, okay, that's it. Run with it. If it fails, it fails. Fail fast, fail often has always been a mantra of mine. If it fails, it fails. Move on to the next one. But you have to at least try. If you never try, you're always just going to be this little generalist agency that is always trying to make your nut every single month. And you're going to be pulling your hair out. And let failure be like a year and a half. Yeah, like give it time. Not like three months, like you're saying, because like that's where I could see people really not getting the full benefit. Before going after manufacturers, we pursued just any referral partners and influencers in the space. And that's better. It's easier in my experience. It still took a year to really see a real flow of referrals. And I thought for a little while there on the first pass, we're now in like three iterations of attempting. I thought on the first pass that it failed. And now I just realized it was a year and a half of time that had to pass. And that we have a very good flow of referrals now from our network. That whole time you were planting seeds and you were going around and marketing yourself and you're growing your garden, right? I think that's a really good nugget to take out of this is just persistence. If you're going to give up easily, you're not going to make it in the space anyway. I got a story that I think pertains real quick to the audience here. And don't be this guy, basically, is what I'm going to say. There's this guy who called me up and he had a agency that was after lawyers and he was looking at roofing. And I don't know why I took his call. It's hard if you're a niched agency owner and like if you're going after roofing, no offense, like I'm not the guy that's going to guide you. Okay. Yeah, that's not- kind of my thing. You could make it a niche. I'm not telling you you can't, but like, I'm not going to be the one to tell you the roadmap because I'm like, I will destroy you. I'm actually competitive and that's fine. The guy was like, he reached out, he wanted advice. I don't know why, but I took the call because I have a soft heart sometimes, you know, or whatever. But he's like, so he was looking for, hey, how'd you do this? You know, like you reacted like 200 leads in a quarter. How the hell? Like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, content, partnerships, you know, that type of stuff. And he's like, 
basically none of that sounds super innovative, Tim. Sounds like you're just saying basic information. And that's true. <laughs> but yeah. the persistence is the key there, right? And it's the aggressiveness and persistence at the same time. Aggressiveness, like I said, I'm putting out like three or four reels a day. I'm being as aggressive as possible with partners and influencers and all these things. That's the trick. There's no trick. Right. That's it. He was like almost mad a little bit. Like he was a little frustrated with me that I didn't have something more. Like some secret formula. He's like, no, but really. I'm like, no, I didn't hack my way to the top, bro. Like it's like five years of going after this. And then later on, I found that same guy. First of all, he decided, I don't know. I think he's going after a new niche now. Probably dental or something, right? One, two, three. Like you can't just sit there and like cop niches all the time and you're not going to get the benefit. But then I saw him also like copy and paste our web. Like. I found one of his mm. websites and like a bunch of our shit was copied and pasted, included content. And it's like, don't do that either, dude. Yeah, but don't anyways, be that guy. The real moral of the story, though, is that people are looking for a hack and there's just, it's usually not one. I mean, the path of least resistance. Yeah, I wanted hacks And too. if you're going to try to follow that path, go for it. You're going to fail, but go for it. Especially if you're trying to compete with me. <laughs> I looked at a memory, I posted this like a year ago, but it was like, stop wasting time looking for hacks. You know what to do. Yeah. You already know the real thing. It's not going to kill you because hacks are fun. I spent a lot of time the first couple of years of my marketing like career, like looking for them. It's fun. You are generally kind of wasting time for the long-term stuff. Sometimes something will work and you'll think, but it's just like distracting in a way because it's not like the real long-term thing. And like, if you get something through a hack, sometimes it's not the direction you should go anyways, basically. Yeah. Can you give me an example? Probably this is a bad example too, because it actually was a win. Like I used to do a lot of growth <laughs> hacking on Twitter. Like I would like buy followers and then I would follow a lot of people and then I would like buy interaction. It was easy to hack the algorithm back then because if you got 50 likes on a tweet, it would go to the top. It was an early algorithm, right? And so I got a client because I did my pricing page and then I got 70 fake likes and I got a client because I liked that. They found it, they converted from that tweet and then they became a client for years. But I'm saying like, ultimately like those things are few and far between. Usually those like hacky type things aren't really as good for business development as you think. And especially the way algorithms have gone on social, anything that you do as far as hacking, like it's probably always going to be the case. They get devalued very quick. We love SEO because there's an element of hacking to it. But anything that's pure black hat, right, is usually getting devalued pretty quick. So it's the same kind of idea. You have to blend the two. You have to be smart and not a purist. But you really can't rely completely on hack hacks because they usually go away pretty quick. Worst case scenario in our business, you have a manual action taken against the site. Google de-indexes every single page that you sent those shitty Russian links to that you jammed a thousand Russian weird spammy links yeah, to a I've page. I've tried everything, man. I'm not being a moralist. No, no. Yeah, of course. We operate in gray hat, let's say, because there is no such thing as white hat link building, for example. If you are manually placing a link onto a web page, you are violating Google's terms of service. So anybody who does link building, that's not white hat, but it's also not black hat. If you do it smartly and correctly, you have to do this pay more intelligently. And yeah. Like hire DA. And make sure they don't have like a guest posting page. 
plus like topical authority, like content authority that actually matters to the page you're linking to, so, you know, stuff like that. So it's only like where you're in the middle of that great. Yeah, exactly. There has been a lot of changes in the last couple of years in that space of like what's good and what's bad in link building and also like what's good and what's bad in social. But yeah, you're absolutely right. For me, early SEO was like seven years ago. It was crazy what you could do. With it was links. the wild west. I loved that. Who would have known when I got into it, even just started looking at SEO like seven years ago, they would talk about the early days, 2008 and 2010. Like it was crazier even still, but like I didn't realize how good it was when I started. Like I could pay $50 for a link and it could do real shit. Like it was kind of stupid how easy it was. And it's like, for a good reason, it gets harder, right? For a good reason. But at the same time, like, God, that was fun. Yeah. I haven't been in the game that long, but one of the founders has been doing SEO for 15 years. And he was like, yeah, it was so easy, man. You could literally bring on a client and I could get them to position one for anything I wanted. It could be a dentist and I could get them to position one for best landscapers in Arkansas. Like it was just the wild west. But I think things overall are better now. It's probably better for the users. It's much better for the users. But at the same time, like I had people like that that started then and then went directly to PPC when it got hard. 12 years ago, they joined. And then 10 years ago, they went to PPC because it got too hard. And it's like, I still think SEO is cool. It's still fun. And like, even though it's harder, we get better and better in new ways and... I don't know. Like, I guess I believe in the ability to still find secrets and still find fun little things. I don't know what's going to happen with ChatGPT, but I will say like, there's certainly arbitrages to be had. I'm not like promoting that right now for SEO content or anything like that. I know that like probably some people are already gung ho on that. I'm not. I'm trying to advise. I mean, maybe it looks self-serving, but I don't care. Like I'm advising people a little bit of caution personally. But at the same time, I'm experimenting pretty hardcore with it. And I don't necessarily know that Google is going to fix those loopholes quick. So like there is arbitrages to be had. I just think you kind of need to, if I was to give specifics, I think I'm not an idiot. I've been doing SEO for seven plus years now. And I'd say making the formatting good, encapsulating if you had ChatGPT content, encapsulating it with opinionated real angle content. Like, so once you get to those, like the commodity part of the article, Go for it. But like in the meantime, give real value and angle up top and make sure there's like some fresh humanity to it. Use images, use emojis, use bullet points, and then make sure that there's real value. Maybe you spend a little bit more time on images and headlines within an article if you're doing this. If this happens, if this ends up taking over, it's going to drive the algorithm towards quality more on content and we're going to have to get better. There's got to be ways to make this better. If ChatGPT is battling ChatGPT, there's got to be ways to make it better. It's usually the hard, weird stuff that you got to do on articles to make it a little bit better. The really well-researched, human-written content is never going to be beat. Like right now, with ChatGPT, everyone was thinking like, oh, the sky is falling. I need to change my whole content offering. I need to do X, Y, Z. And I like the fact that you said fresh. So it's like keeping it fresh because... Chat GPT can't keep it fresh. Its database ends in 2021. So like if you want stuff like 2023 best methods for transporting milk across states or some weird shit like that, 
that's information is not in there. It's going to give you 2021 information. And maybe since 2021, new technology has come out that makes it 10 times more efficient. And you don't know that. The best content is like usually like the hardest, weirdest to make. The most expensive. Kind of like lists and like there's opinions. For instance, like I have a marketing manager now, like or a marketing assistant, right? That's helping me with stuff. And I'm trying to train him on it. I'm like... It's fine if for something here or there you want to use ChatGPT. I'm not mad. You know, it's not like links where it's like I'm giving them prompt ideas that are a little bit more prioritize unusual ideas, take opinions, that kind of stuff. But I'm also like when I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, well, the best article is actually like the best roofing software, like for us, like it's the best roofing software. It's like if ChatGPT wrote that article, it doesn't have the context I have. Yeah, because you actually have the firsthand yeah. knowledge. So like ultimately, the best content has context. And I know that that's hard to do as SEOs on an outside perspective, but that's why the best content has niched writers, I think. I think ultimately, you can get more people like freelancers or outsource partners or whatever that have a lot of that kind of client. And that ultimately is going to make for better content. 100%. The content you write for a dentist cannot be the same style, tone, et cetera, as it is for like a roofer. It just doesn't happen. And you have to have that person who has that topical relevance, topical authority. They know what the hell they're doing and they can do it really well. It's so funny because we actually also have a dentist. So we've been talking about this and we've been crushing it. Have you really? (laughs) We have this old dentist that hasn't talked to us in like a year. He just keeps paying you to like, hey, go ahead. Because one time... This is a good ending story. One time I was getting my dentistry done by, by the way, I know the audience can't see, but I got a big problem because I haven't been able to go see him. Okay. I can't see him. Yeah, miss him, but they're very nice up front. Don't put this on the internet. Okay. Just kidding. You can. <laughs> He's never going to watch this. But the point is, is like, I was in his chair and he was telling me about somebody who ran off with his girlfriend as a bodybuilder and they took his dog in his car. Ooh. And I said, in my empathetic, I was like, what? Maybe we could go get it back or something like that. And so <laughs> then I got him down this like bromance idea that we were going to go and get back his dog and his range. I then decided I was like at a band practice or something. And like he was being weird. And I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. My wife said, no, I'm not allowed to go like risk my life for this. And then he was like, I'm sick of everyone lying to me, just like my girlfriend and all this stuff. And then I decided I couldn't go back and get dentistry work from him. But he's still a client. We're still absolutely crushing it for him. Yeah. He has like 25 times more traffic than he had three years ago when we started. He doesn't go to reports ever. So it's been like a year and a half or something. It's been like a year since he's ever come to report. And we're just still crushing him. Don't cut this one into a reel. Don't publish this one on shorts. Oh, no, no, no. We don't really keep up on our socials anyway. We use this content for our website and elsewhere, but not really on social. Wild story, nonetheless. That is a pretty crazy story. And I bet you have a lot of crazy stories. I feel like you and I have had a very similar come up, I would say. It sounds like I had some dark days, man. I had some days where lots of drugs and partying and that whole phase, like right after high school. Like I said, it took me eight years to get that web design degree. I finally got my shit together. I became a paramedic for like five years. And then I started using that web design degree. I was an EMT, by the way. I got kicked out of the military, though. We've got a lot in common. Yeah, we have a lot in common, man. It just happens to be so coincidental. But I'd love to talk to you again. 
we don't have to do a podcast, but I'd yeah, yeah, I'm here. happy to chat. I appreciate it very much. I really appreciate you being here. We'll wrap it up here. We are at time. I could probably talk to you for hours. I really do appreciate your time, man. That's going to be it. I've been your host, Ron McGovern. Thank you so much to our guest, Tim, for being here. Thank you so much for tuning into the Niche Agency podcast to our audience. We upload episodes every Thursday at 12 Eastern. If you're an agency owner trying to niche and scale your business, we'd love to speak with you about a scalable SEO solution. Or if you're a business looking for a SEO solution yourself, we're also happy to help out. And also, if any of our listeners have heard anything from Tim today that resounded with them or that spoke to them, maybe you're having trouble with one of your roofing clients. Maybe you're having trouble with one of your home service clients. He's the man to talk to. Obviously, having, what, 65 clients and killing it, you're definitely the man to talk to. Tim, how can people get a hold of you? I would suggest maybe following or like connecting on LinkedIn, Tim Brown, Hook Agency. I'm fairly active on there, and I'd also respond to DMs and stuff like that, as long as you don't start with itch. Hey, how'd you like to yeah, sell something? Man, LinkedIn is like the worst spam platform of all time, I feel like. I delete all my DMs immediately. They're all just like, I can help you with lead gen every two seconds. This is the business platform. I'm going to do business on this platform. Like it's like, dude, just chill. I do follow people on there and I wouldn't make a business decision if I saw content, but not when people spam it. Not when that's the opening. But yeah, open with like, hey, Tim, I saw you on the Eden News Agency podcast. I just like to chat for a minute to give you some advice, listeners. But yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, Tim, again, for being here. Really insightful, really cool story. So I appreciate you coming. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Cheers. Cheers.